On today's episode of Locked On Suns, was that first quarter in Detroit really the Suns' offense just getting started? And if so, where does it go from here? Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Tuesday. Basketball, Suns basketball is back in our lives. It's a great day to be a Suns fan, and I am right here with you. If you're finding us for the first time, hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding the show. We're free and available including everywhere, including YouTube. Become an everydayer. Monday through Friday, get this show in your feed. Get locked onto the Suns right along with me from now through the rest of the season. Today's show is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with the personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. More from them later on in the show. But let's get to some quotes. As a reminder, the Suns scored 46 points in the first quarter against the Detroit Pistons in preseason game number one on Sunday afternoon. Funny game, right, that Monty Williams was the opponent, but obviously Matt Ishbia's Familiarity with the Pistons probably went a long way there. Just uh, one of those things. We're going to talk mostly about offense. We'll close the show with a little bit on this Nuggets game. Just three things I think the Nuggets will test about the Suns. I'll give you my best guesses of who plays in that game on the Nuggets side. Suns look like they're going to be good to go, basically the same guys from the first one. But again, let's start with some quotes. One from Bradley Beal, one from Eric Gordon. All right, so Beal said... We're still scratching the surface of what we can actually do and accomplish. We're still getting acclimated with each other, still getting acclimated with where guys like the ball, their strengths, uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are. We're still improving our team defense, which is a main priority. So I'll just get the defense thing out of the way first. Vogel and Beal both uh, prior emphasize the fact that this team is, is looking at defense first and foremost, which is not a surprise. That's what Frank Vogel wants to lay the groundwork with. He admitted on media day, and I, as I discussed after media day, that he's approaching this as if the roster is not elite defensively and that coaching and preparedness and scheming is going to be their bread and butter on that end of the floor. But I bring all that up to get to the offense simply to say, this is how it looks when during camp their priority was defense. This is really the best example, the best proof that you could look for if you were high on this Suns offense for those of us who thought it would really be oftentimes just as simple as rolling the ball out and and playing basketball and that the talent, the shooting, the ball handling, which I'll get to in a moment, was just going to be enough to overpower opposing defenses. And it certainly looked that way on day one. Now, of course, it's the Pistons. But again, this is after a week where most of their attention seems to have been paid on the defensive end. The other quote 
goes hand in hand with what Beal did say about the offense in terms of scratching the surface and getting comfortable. Again, from Eric Gordon, he said the willingness and attitude to continue to play at a high level together and play off one another, just the willingness to push the egos aside to have a winning mentality. You can see it and it's very helpful. So I'm just going to continue to hammer this point home and I hope uh, it doesn't get too annoying, but we were thinking about it and talking about it all wrong throughout the offseason, right? As, as Suns fans and followers. Maybe it was the Sham Sharania tweet, uh, you know, when the Suns traded campaign about, you know, Beal will be the, the point guard and this and that. The truth is, as I've said multiple times, not having a point guard was not something that happened to this team by accident. I believe it's something that happened on purpose. And, you know... Even if you believe that the Suns are interested in TJ McConnell, I think he's not really a pure point guard and not probably a starting caliber player in the first place on a great championship quality team. So you don't even have to look much further than what they did in the Aiton trade. The fact that at no point during the offseason did they prioritize keeping their point guards or trading for another point guard should show you that. But again, how they're playing proves it more than anything else. The balance, the unselfishness, the relentlessness, that's all possible because of the presence of multiple ball handlers, the unpredictableness of having so many guys that can grab the ball, push the tempo, create for themselves, create for their teammates. That is a strength, not a weakness. I did a whole segment last week about how they did this on purpose, right? Like it was not an accident. It was by choice. And this, this game was a great example of that. The other thing I will point to, and it's something to continue to watch throughout the off, uh, preseason, it's something I talked about with Brandon on Monday's show, recapping the win in Detroit, is not only does, again, to return to the Aiton trade, having Grayson Allen, getting Grayson Allen makes a lot more sense when you watch this team play because the point, the reason that they're able to get so many quick, easy efficient shots is not, again, as we talk about the distinction of it being intentional to not have a point guard, we thought and talked a lot about the Suns needing to have one ball handler on the court, right? That was a, that, that's the thing. It's probably being Chris Paul pilled or Steve Nash pilled for so long that that's the lens through which we look at basketball, but this team obviously in particular. The Grayson Allen trade makes much more sense when you realize the Suns are trying to have multiple ball handlers on the court at all times. Maybe not any elite John Morant, Chris Paul, you know, Damian Lillard type of ball handler, but multiple C-plus or better level ball handlers to maintain that unpredictability all the time. Right, So they don't want to have some lineups where the ball's just in one dude's hands. And then, oh crap, the superstars are back out here. Now we're going to start flexing and, 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 and being versatile. No, that's their identity. That's what they want to do. And so the Grayson Allen acquisition is one part of that. Obviously, we were all excited about the Eric Gordon trade and I think, or signing. And I think that's a lot of when the plan started to come into place. And we talked again on Monday with Brandon about Gordon just right away in preseason game number one, showing how important it's going to be that he can get downhill, get into the paint and kick to shooters, finish for himself, get to the free throw line. 
he can do that. Like it's just it just is part of his skill set. Like that's just part of what we need to talk about with what Gordon brings to the table. He is not just a shooter. And then last but not least, another thing that we saw in that Pistons game is Josh Okoge handling the ball. Now, the lineup where he was doing that is probably not a lineup that's going to see the floor a lot, which was just straight bench. Um, I don't expect that to be a common thing in the regular season. But even doing, even putting the ball in his hands to the extent that they did in the lineup that they did shows me that that's still a choice. That's still an emphasis that that we're able to see and maybe not in the starting lineup because it's probably rare that he's going to be the guy bringing the ball up the court even if he does start early in the season but maybe a lineup where you know it's him and it's Beal and it's you know some shooters or him Durant Beal and some shooters you could see a Kogi being yet another threat especially with how Uh, good he is on the glass and how aggressive he is creating turnovers. You want a guy like that who has a nose for the ball to feel comfortable taking the ball. (laughs) It's like a cornerback who can run back, uh, you know, a touchdown, right? You, you like those guys. They add a little something extra. A Kogi getting comfortable with the ball in his hands would go a long way for the Suns offense in general, but also for him, because we know off ball is a little harder because he can't shoot as well. So if he can get comfortable handling and passing and you know developing his vision and reading the defense and all that stuff, that's going to go a long way for him, of course, too. But that's the point. If you're looking at where the offense can go next, that simplicity combined with the multiple options, multiple threats at all times is what makes them dangerous. It is intentional, and it is going to only get better as they get more comfortable more loose, and more players feel empowered to join in on the party. Let's talk next. I can't help myself. You guys know I love a good comp, but I have three that can continue to provide some context now that we've seen even just 20 minutes of these guys on offense for what we're about to watch during the regular season. We'll do that next. First, today's show brought to you by Jace Medical. Think of Jace Medical like a first aid kit for antibiotics. The Jace Case, their signature product, provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace Case is to fill out a simple online form and in some cases jump on a quick call with one of our board-certified board physicians. Get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions. They're doctor-created and doctor-recommended. So don't be caught unprepared. Be empowered to care for yourself and your loved ones during the unexpected. Let Jace handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery, as well as ongoing consultation and care. Get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics in your Jace case today from Jace Medical by using the code LOCKEDON at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com, promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Coming back, let's talk comps. You know I love comps. But look, I think that this this team has obviously gotten a lot of attention for how modern it is in terms of the, the salary cap and a lot of things like that. The exploding through the second apron and a lot of the things that they're doing from that standpoint. The choice to 
not have a point guard and embrace kind of the offensive positionlessness. We think we think about that in defensive terms a lot, right? Switchability, taking up you know space with length and athleticism, but positionlessness on offense is going to be something that the Suns embrace this year too. And so that got me thinking, as did watching the WNBA Finals on Sunday, because we don't have to look much further than the biggest basketball being played right now in the world to get a little bit of insight about the Suns. The Las Vegas Aces are playing exactly the same style that the Phoenix Suns are going to play this year. Not the, the personnel is not identical. Asia Wilson is a unique player. She, I've always kind of compared her on the men's side to like a freakishly athletic LaMarcus Aldridge is kind of like uh, the best kind of... So the Suns don't have a player like that. But the Aces with Jackie Young, Kelsey Plum, and Chelsea Gray basically have their version of what the Suns are going to have. In three ball handlers, now Chelsea Gray is more of a traditional point guard, but... She's unique, too. She doesn't fully really get to the basket a lot. She prefers to play in space. And then Jackie Young is sort of a big wing who has ball skills. And Kelsey Plum is, you know, your Trey Young, Steph Curry type player. But she has a drive and kick game to her as well. And so they make it work. The ball pings around between all three of them. They push the pace like hell. And they're impossible to guard. They lost a starter, a, a Hall of Famer in Candace Parker this year. And I wouldn't say they didn't miss a beat. They certainly missed a beat. They had a rough spell in their season. But now they have rediscovered basically being unguardable again, despite not having a floor spacer and passer like her. I think that is a pretty good template where you, by having so many ball handlers, you don't have to try to set your offense because it's not predicated upon one player to get everybody else their opportunities or to even be comfortable pushing pace and then all three of them not only can do that but they're all comfortable creating their own shot and so what you get as we saw in that finals game one is just raining threes and layups in semi-transition and full transition against even a great defense which the new york liberty are it's the finals there's two great teams and the aces just looked unbothered a lot of the time let's move to the nba Last year's Kings, right? Like, we, we shouldn't necessarily think of the Suns just in terms of super teams as comps, right? I think the Kings were sort of the purest distillation of what I think a lot of people expected NBA offense to, tr to start to get to. And, 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 you know, the Valley, where we live mostly, I don't know about my audience, where I live, where the Suns play their basketball, birthed that, right? Seven seconds or less. But the Kings, the what makes them interesting to me is they did not have superior talent, right? Like Kevin Herter is a pretty good shooter, pretty great shooter. Malik Monk had a, a stellar season, a kind of the best year of his career. De'Aaron Fox can, can push pace and just blow by any defense. DeMontis Sabonis is a really physical player who can own the glass, who can create advantages with his screen setting, and is a pretty good and smart passer, also can grab and go himself. So they had talent, but really it was ball movement, it was pace, and it was threes, right? They're going to beat you down the court, they're unselfish, and they're going to toss up threes and play small, 
versatile lineups that allow them to do that. DeMontis Sabonis was a full-time center. No more bigs next to him. It is going to be Trey Lyles. It is going to be uh, Keegan Murray. It is going to be Harrison Barnes. That's going to be our forwards, and they're all going to be able to shoot, and they're all going to have a very green light. I don't think the Suns are going to play as fast as the Kings because they don't need to, right? They don't, they're not going to need to beat you down the court in order to score. But I think that a lot of the basics of what we saw Sacramento do, Darren Fox is not what we would have thought of as a pure point guard 20 years ago. Maybe he's similar to like a Kevin Johnson, but that's a once-in-a-generation in a type of player. This is not John Stockton, right? This is not Scott Skiles. This is not Chris Paul. Uh, even Darren Williams, right? This is a guy who can dribble, but he's getting what he wants based on his athleticism and his speed. The Suns don't have that. They don't need that. What they have is a bunch of guys who can do it. Other than that, everything applies. Unselfishness, getting up a lot of threes, especially from the role players, and pace, not just in terms of possessions per game and all that stuff, the stat pace. Pace in terms of decisiveness, aggressiveness, and just acting, creating threats to the defense before it's set. The Suns will have games where the Kings from last year, and probably the Kings from this year, might be the closest comparison we can find. The other one is obviously the Brooklyn Nets, from 2020-21, the Harden-Kyrie-KD Nets. Now, just to remind people, the stats from that team are absolutely astounding. They had a 124. When, when all three were on the court that season, they had a 124 offensive rating in the regular season and a 139 offensive rating in the playoffs. Now, just for perspective, I just got done talking about last year's Kings, they had the best offense in the history of the NBA. Their offensive rating was 119.7. So two years ago, three years ago, when Kyrie, KD, and Harden were all on the court at the same time, the Nets had an offensive rating six points per 100 possessions higher than that. And in the playoffs, it was another 15 points per 100 possessions beyond that off the charts, literally. Like, that's that's the definition of off the charts. Their pace was about between... It was about 0.6 seconds faster per possession. 0.6 seconds fewer per possession than last year's Suns. I think the Suns could be even faster than that. 14.2 seconds per offensive possession that year's Nets. I think the Suns could, could beat that this year. And the other comp here is that the only Suns centers by the time the playoffs came around were Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, and a little bit of Nick Claxton. He played about 10 minutes per game in the postseason, but he did not start. I don't know. I, you know, we'll see what happens with Yusuf Nurkic. I think that he has a clear role to play for this team, and I think it makes sense for him to start because you want to empower the offense. That's your strength. That's the, the thing you want to hit the ground running with in these games. And I think Nurkic will develop good chemistry with the star players in order to make that happen, make those fast starts happen. But there is a big part of me as I look at examples like this and just look at this roster. I mean, I don't even have to look much further than who's on this team that maybe those small options are just the ultimate destiny of this team that the Chemezi Metu signing 
mattered a lot more than we realized in real time. That the Bull Bull signing is a a nod toward this direction of uh, of rotation building more than we realized. That Drew Eubanks maybe is going to be the guy playing the most minutes by the time of the postseason, or that there's a trade coming along, or that it's Kevin Durant, right? But that's the other thing I can't help but notice with Brooklyn is a guy like Nurkic, when you're trying to juice the offense to the tippy top that it can be by using those shorter possessions and and pushing of the pace and first great shot type of mentality, seven footer, you know, 275 or whatever Yusuf Nurkic is, those guys don't normally play on teams like that. So we'll see, but something to ponder, food for thought, and something to watch the rest of the preseason. How do the lineups, do we see lineups with the the other four starters and Eubanks? How much do we see it, and how does it look? That's something to, to look at. Does Chemezi Metu continue to play at a really high level and, and kind of earn minutes for himself? All these questions will continue to be answered starting Tuesday at home against the Denver Nuggets, who we will talk about next. First, one more quick break. Closing out the show, let's talk preseason game number two. Now that we are done with preseason game number one, that'll be against the Denver Nuggets at home in downtown Phoenix at 7 o'clock local time. I will be there. I'm sure many of you will be there. Quickly on the Denver side, it, it appears that Jamal Murray, Christian Brown, and Michael Porter Jr. could all miss the game. Uh, I believe Murray is the one who did not practice most recently, whereas the other two are just dealing with pain. I, you know, judging from how the Nuggets handled the end of last season, it would not surprise me if they played this close to the vest, or, or I guess not close to the vest, but just played it patiently, and these guys did not play in this game. However, it's also their first preseason game, so it's number two for Phoenix. It's only number one for them. We'll see how they handle it. Obviously, you want to see the best challenge for this team, but we might not get that as we saw once again to close the season for the Denver Nuggets when they did not uh, do the Suns any favor by benching everybody when they wanted to get Kevin Durant reps. However, let's get to the the three things, the three ways that the Nuggets will challenge the Suns, okay? This version of the Suns. I mean, we already watched a full playoff series. I get that. First is size across positions beyond just the center spot with Nikola Jokic, okay? So by that, I mean... Aaron Gordon against Kevin Durant, which was a weak point for the Suns in the playoffs, right? If Michael Porter Jr. or Christian Brown do play, even better. But even somebody like Zeke Naji is pretty big for a backup center. You have Peyton Watson on this team, who is a big athletic forward. How do the Suns respond to that? Is this a game that they get owned on the glass? Is this a game where, you know, just the physicality and and ability to kind of stop some of those transition looks that the Suns try to create just overwhelms them. And it, and it, and it is a, a problematic matchup. I'm not going to take too much out of a preseason game, but I will be watching that. What I also be, will be watching, is this more of a half-court game than Detroit? And what happens if so, right? So the size plays a role there too. But what the Pistons did was... Worrisome in some ways, you know, the fouling that we saw from Yusuf Nurkic, some of the mistakes defensively from cutting and off-ball movement and things like that by the Pistons, that, that, that was worrisome. But what was also worrisome, 
or sorry, what we did not get to see, what might also be worrisome in this game is some of the half-court problems, right? Do the Suns score as well? I just got done talking about pace and all these different things. You would expect, if absolutely needed, you have Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Bradley Beal. It's not like they can just score in the open court. But this is also a preseason game giving way to regular season games. And every team scores worse in the half court versus transition. It will be interesting if, even though it's preseason, we see a little bit of a slower, more grinded out game on Tuesday night because that'll just give us a different type of, of read on this Suns team and force them to work those muscles early on. And Denver's the team to do that. They're really good in transition, but they don't turn the ball over as much, meaning they don't allow you to get into transition. They're good on the glass, meaning you know not a lot of crazy back and forth, so they're going to get on the offensive rebounding a little bit. And they kind of, I mean, they're not at their best when they slow down, but they're totally comfortable slowing it down. So I could see it. Last but not least, if that happens, but even if it's a pretty fast-paced game, regardless, the number one thing that Denver makes you do is defend as a team. You don't always have to have the best personnel. You don't really have that much of a chance of shutting this Denver offense down. But if you're going to have any shot to be competitive and definitely any shot to win, you have to at least keep them honest, contest, make it hard for them as a defense against their offense as a team. And again, the Suns did have some breakdowns, right? What I will say, though, is a lot, even in the half court of what Detroit did to score on the Suns' defense was really just one-on-one. Maybe it was a, a simple screen and, and then downhill, but it was just guys like Ivy, Thompson, Duran, Cade, just getting downhill. That was really when they made them look their worst. And sometimes that was a kick out. Sometimes that was a pass to a cutter. It wasn't just a parade to the basket. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, Cade Cunningham had 15 dunks in this game. But what happens if the Suns are really having to guard pretty complicated multiple pass possessions like we know Denver can do? It's, it's one of the Suns' clear impediments to making the conference finals or the NBA finals for a reason. They are the defending champs for a reason. These are the things that are going to be hard against this team, even in the preseason. So let's see what happens. That'll wrap us up for today. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the new intro music, the new old intro music. If you're at the game, maybe see me, say hi. I don't know. You'll see. Maybe. I don't know. Either way, hit subscribe, hit follow, be back with a recap show on Tuesday night going into Wednesday and more shows throughout the week. Aaron Edwards here on Friday. See if we can cook up a guest between now and then. I'll catch you then.